Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you chiching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Marina Shadi. On the show this week, we hit the road with Panapanahi. Volcanoes become intensely romantic in Fire of Love. And on Film Club, we go on an iconic road trip to Paris, Texas. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Marina, it's very exciting to have you on this week. Uh, we This is the first time we've met, even though we've been on many kind of email chains together. Um, for all of the listeners that maybe aren't kind of looking back at the kind of credits of the Little White Lies website, could you explain who you are and what you do? <laughs> I'm Marina. I'm a writer. Um, I write film and arts criticism and I joined Little White Lies just over a year ago now as an editorial assistant. And this is actually my first time recording a podcast on this side of the mic, which feels a bit weird. Because uh, I used to be an editor for the Monstrous Feminine podcast, uh, for anyone listening, if you're into horror movies and feminist film theory, uh, that's one you should check out. Uh, so yeah, I came onto Little White Lies uh, just before we did the June issue, and since then I've been working with David, Hannah and Adam, um, and just been a, a regular contributor across uh, print and online. Uh, and it's been really great. And the other thing that takes up a huge chunk of my time is the work that I do with the collective I'm part of, um, which is called Endrosha. And we're a group of uh, separate artists and writers. And right now we're working on a site-specific exhibition that's uh, happening in December. And I'm also working on a print publication about the research that's going behind that. So yeah, busy, busy bee, I guess. Wow, that site-specific exhibition sounds incredible. Where's that going to be? So it's going to be in Cyprus, unfortunately. So um, if I mean, if anyone listening is based in Cyprus, you're uh, free to come, even though I highly doubt it. Um, <laughs> We've got Cyprus listeners. I know it. Oh, do we? Oh, we, that's we, good. We, okay. We we can do breakdowns. <laughs> we can see where everyone's listening from. We know. <laughs> we we got the numbers. 
Well, I know it's um, under great lock and key as to what the new issue is about, but how how is issue? Is it 92 that's coming out? No, ni- 96, in fact. We are working on that now. And it's, yeah, we're trying to keep, we, you know, we try and keep things hush-hush. Um, except, you know, that there are a few kind of need-to-know people who are on, are on the inside who we can tell and uh, who are helping us out and... It's quite going to be quite. I mean, it's going to be quite a lavish and beautiful issue, I think. Um, and I think maybe you can take that as a little super obscure clue as to as to what kind of film that might entail and what kind of filmmaker we might be uh, repping for in uh, in the uh, September October period. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say no more. Say no more. Um, Got to say, I. I... I was quite surprised by the choice when I found, but I will kind of keep my inside scoop to myself. Um, I was surprised too, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we shouldn't be surprised because nobody guessed it was going to be 50th anniversary of Pink Flamingos with the last one. So you're keeping us on our toes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and before we move on, I just thought it might be worth mentioning that the Venice Film Festival's lineup got announced yesterday. Um, and we at the podcast are going to be doing some special episodes live from uh, the Lido. It does seem to be one of the most stacked lineups in recent memory. Um, is there anything that you guys saw coming out that uh, you're excited by? I'm kind of bragging since neither of you are going. <laughs> it's just me. But yeah. Like, anything yeah. you think I should catch. <laughs> I think you should just like stay in your flat and drink aperitivos and not watch anything and, you know, wait until we have to see it at the LFF. Um, I think, I, I, I think that there's, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I thought, yeah, it's a, it's a really, a, you know, big, high profile, probably, a, a, you know, going to be loads of great stuff there, uh, lineup. Um, like not that, not that many surprises. I think, the the one surprise for me is like um there's a new like Frederick Wiseman film there who is one of my favorite like documentary makers he's making documentaries like regularly since the 60s and he's got this very kind of um rigorous mode of observation and he he's actually made for this film for this festival a uh, a fiction film which is very very rare for him he's done it like once or twice in the past but he kind of like almost like sweeps those aside a bit like very rarely talks about them people very rarely ask them ask him about them so like yeah it's only like a 60 minute as well so it's a perf going to be a perfect little kind of amuse-bouche for everyone uh, and also very excited for a, for a, obviously a joanna hogg haunted house tilda swinton movie so um yeah very 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 uh, excited to see that one yeah, there's a lot of three-hour run times, so uh, I think Joanne Hogg blessing us with a nice 90 minutes was uh, very, very welcome. Oh, yeah, in, in, <laughs> your, in your E2 is three hours, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he goes, you know, really quite far end of the spectrum for me, so this is either going to be a really like <laughs> transcendent experience or just a complete slog. Um, Marina, what about you? Anything that kind of piqued your interest? I mean, you're Schrader. Mm. It's always exciting. What's it called? Uh, the, I saw the, the, the Master Gardener. With my beloved Joel Edgerton. Um, the the trailer for Tar, um, the, the Todd Field, Kate Blanchett, um, what was it, like a like a music drama type of thing? I it, It's very cryptic. I it, it very looks, much enjoyed that trailer. So it looks like a biopic, 
but it's actually a, a fictional film. Interesting. The announcement of it from uh, was quite strange because sometimes they give away quite a bit of information when they're telling you what films are on and sometimes not. And this one, he kind of just like, she's a conductor, she's brilliant. Maybe she's attracted to the cellist. Maybe she's attracted to the violinist. I'm just like, is this just going to be seeing us kind of Kate Blanchett work her way through a series of lovers in an orchestra, which, you know, I mean, also three hours long. Oh, is it three hours? No. Okay. Well, I was just about to say that it, it kind of teeters on awards bait looking to me, but now you've said it's three hours, I, I, I instantly renege that thought. Well, I was most interested to uh, see that Lars von Trier, sorry, Lars von Trier is premiering a new show there. Apparently some people have seen the first episode and it's absolutely astonishing. Well, so... I love The Kingdom is one of his, like, he, he did two series of The Kingdom, like, way, way back before he did, like, The Idiots and... This, it, I think in, in certainly in Denmark, it was the thing that really made his name. It's an amazing, um, it's an amazing show. And actually, like um, fact fans, I, uh, the, the the Alex Garland film Men, absolutely. I know a lot of people have said that he it, it was a real kind. It felt like a real homage to Lars von Trier, uh, especially films like Antichrist. But actually. It's the, the kingdom is is the one thing that he's like really in in its finale he's ripping off the kingdom like lock stock and barrel. Um, if I, I don't want to say any more than that, but I think you could pro- if you've seen men, you probably can guess what I'm, I'm talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm super excited for the for, for the new 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 one. Also because I interviewed him for for the house that Jack built and. It was one of the most strange experiences because he seemed extremely frail. Um, he 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 was kind of he's only, he's in his sixties, but he seemed like he was in his eighties when I spoke to him because I think years of of, of drinking and uh, have taken a, and pills and things have taken a massive toll on him. So for me, it's like heart, very heartening that he is able to was able to actually make a big thing like this again. Um, I did wonder if he had any more films or work in him when doing that interview, but obviously he does, which is which is good. Oh well, hopefully this won't be kind of the last that we see from him. As much as he's a, you know, rightly controversial figure, I do always find find myself rooting for Lars. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view to the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to the Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. Hit the Road follows a chaotic tender family that is on their road trip across the rugged landscape of Iran all while fussing over a sick dog and getting on each other's nerves. Slowly it emerges what they are driving to the Turkish border for. So Marina, this is kind of, in many ways, a classic road movie. Um, What kind of elements do you think work to make a great road trip movie? Hmm, That's a really good question. Um, I think the thing that made it work the most as a road movie for me is how in general 
cars in Iranian cinema and literature are always this like private space that can be quite liberating for its characters. Um, so I thought that was a, a really clever way to incorporate this kind of political turmoil within the private space of a car. Um, I also, this, this film was somehow branded as like the Persian Little Miss Sunshine, which to me was a little bit like saying that this foreign thing is like a derivative version of this like great Western road movie. But also I didn't feel like it was anything like Little Miss Sunshine. Did you guys get that? I think no, I completely agree with you. I don't it, think it has that tweeness. I mean, on the most superficial levels, in that it's funny and there's people in a, a family in a car. Yes, but I think as films, they're like diff- tonally and what they're trying, what what they're trying to say. Yeah, they, you couldn't get further apart on the scale, really. Um, but beyond kind of that kind of level of like, oh, it's the car. The car is kind of the sacred space where they can kind of be themselves, I suppose, a little bit kind of cut up from the world. Like, did you enjoy this element of like, you know, I suppose a journey through Iran? Because those landscapes to me was so incredible as well. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. And I think, I mean, paired with the with the soundtrack, which was this like, so pre-Iranian uh, revolution, so pre-1979 like pop songs and ballads which are obviously now banned if you get caught in Iran driving around and listening to those songs like that's that's not allowed um so I think paired with that it just like gave it such a like splendor with the landscape and just like beautiful vistas and stuff yeah no it's um Absolutely stunning. It does kind of feel like the most bittersweet love letter to Iraq in, in, a, in a strange way. But uh, David, I think it's worth kind of getting a bit of background on this. Um, uh, the director's father is the acclaimed director, Jafar Panahi, and um, he's been arrested. Um, could you kind of explain what the situation is? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really quite awful, to be honest. Um, uh, the... He's been he's been a filmmaker. He's been making films since the kind of early mid nineties, um, and you know has been re- one of the real kind of linchpins of like the you know the so called new Iranian cinema, um, known for films like um, the Mirror and the White Balloon, um, and um, also just sort of making making these very small dramas out of out of seemingly nothing. He actually did a film a few years ago. Uh, so, he, so yeah, actually going back a bit further, around around two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, he was placed under house arrest in Iran for some kind of trumped up sedition charge. He made this incredible film called "This Is Not a Film" in his entirely in his house, um, which again, it, 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 very innovative and poetic film, challenging the the kind of uh, the, the the bounds of censorship, um, and and you know make you know questioning like what art is and what the confines of art can be uh and has kind of been sort of making these sort of guerrilla stealth movies in 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 the in the preceding years 
one of the main ones being a film called Taxi Tehran, uh, which is ve- like in in a way tonally a bit of a sort of um, sets a bit of a precedent for 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 Hit the Road in that it is kind of funny bittersweet film about a taxi driver going around Tehran picking up various people and having interactions with uh, with them and through that through the kind of confines of a car you are getting a kind of reflected view of uh, of society through through all these kind of interactions and done in this very kind of like charming naturalistic but also very kind of politically canny and 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 poetic way um and yeah so um recently uh another another director mohammed Ras- rasulov uh also was uh, arrested um uh, and uh he he's also someone who's a really interesting filmmaker who's had films uh at, you know play at various festivals and films really yeah i think as 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 recent as like a year ago i think he had a film uh, released in the uk and um when when sort of protesting this this trumped up arrest um panahi was arrested himself and uh and and is now just suddenly facing a six year prison term uh which is kind of devastating and you know this has obviously come after his son Panapanahi has made this this movie, uh, which you know perhaps resonates even further because now you've got this idea of like, well, this is the film. I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but like, there there is a kind of sunny exterior to the film uh, with, that has a very kind of dark core about kind of families being torn apart, people having to act in very kind of sudden and damaging ways and um the, the you know the, the the dangers of fighting for personal liberty and and uh and and for what you believe in in, in oppressive regimes you know that all of that stuff is very central to the kind of you know wh- why we're here and why we're why we're on this road trip um so so yeah it's that it i think it's worthwhile talking about Jaf- jafar and his kind of you know journey and current like horrendous situation because it all feeds into to to what's to, to to this portrait of 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 iran at the moment and and you know the the the, the toils of, of being an artist in iran yeah it's a strange um perspective that the film takes in a way because um, i think i said in my review that wait. like this is another big win for nepotism which was partly yeah. said in jest but in a way with this added context now with Panahi Sr. being incarcerated, his son carrying that baton forward and also doing a great job at it and having his own unique directorial style, even though it's very influenced by like Iranian New Wave and the work of his father. And also like there's hints of um, Kiarostami in there as well. But it does have this like distinctive directorial voice behind it and it's also very prescient and very you know important for Iranian cinema especially at the moment yeah I'm wondering within that style he has these kind of like touches of I suppose magical realism did those elements also work for you yeah I think because there's this there's like a kid in this movie who's just like 
so hyperactive and like <laughs> it's just like explosive energy and this like magical realism sequence that I like I don't want to give away what it is but I feel like it really complements his energy and this view of the future of Iran and you know what could be yeah it's it, it's totally about a kind of you know a, this this sort of need to to sort of descend into fantasy sometimes and like there's something quite sort of you know this this is there's something quite bittersweet about this interlude that is on the surface very it seems very funny and eccentric but actually in in retrospect is is quite sad in that this is like a a kind of this this world of fantasy is is like a the only kind of safe space for for people as a as a as a form of expression so um to also add like he's this kid is hyperactive but it's an incredible like you know the performance is just peerless like how 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 he got the kid to act like that um how the kid learned lines like i mean it's not it's not only that you know he's he's funny in and of the moment and they're cutting out it's not like kind of tiktok humor where it's like oh kid says one funny thing lol i mean there he he is doing like long long takes long conversational dialogue scenes where he's memorizing like pages and pages of dialogue like how just like it's it's kind of it's jaw-dropping it really is but i just kind of still left with this kind of intense feeling of melancholy i suppose because the kind of perspective of the film is not just about the person who's leaving it's more interested in the people that are left behind and what it's like to kind of almost be grieving someone whilst you're still with them because the inevitable is just around the corner um but yeah i i I thought it was a stunning film and i and i'm kind of quite depressed to hear it described as iranian little miss sunshine because i think it was which is actually a film i do think is perfectly sweet but um i I think we have to acknowledge that 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 this this is the the dark arts of of the marketing people and that if that if this is a way to get people into the cinemas to see this film then so be it you know like I, i that fair enough (laughs) <laughs> well on that note um we will we will join the dark arts of the marketing people and put some scores on this um marina w- would you give it in, in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect so in anticipation i'll give it a three and that's because i'm always a bit wary of someone coming from a background where they grew up around you know they've got this legacy to follow um So, yeah, in anticipation, it was a three. Then enjoyment in retrospect, uh, four for me. Um, I really appreciated the balance of, you know, this really serious political context and the the levity that was... I, I thought it was a really clever balancing act, but the pace, I thought, was a tiny bit uneven. But nevertheless, I'm really excited to see... Um, what he's got up his sleeve. David, what about you? Yeah, I'd 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 go for same 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 Z's. Um uh yeah it's really it's it's I think in the end it's 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 a kind of I mean sorry to, to sort of labour the, the whole little Miss Sunshine thing, but I think that what one of the reasons why we have kind of like flagged that up is because like 
this is very much not a kind of Hollywood treatment of the subject in that it's, it's done in a very unsentimental way. And I think that it isn't, I think one of the film's strengths is kind of acknowledging the, the fact that it's operating in, in a more kind of refined and uh, unsentimental way in, in, in the kind of telling of this story as something that is kind of like part of life rather than like this, this great horrendous tragedy. And like the, the most, the thing that actually makes it most most moving is the is the way that how the characters are quite naturally accepting and philosophical about this situation rather than like you know clawing their their eyes out and going why so like <laughs> so I'm, I, the, the the listeners can't hear that I'm shaking my fist at the at the ceiling there to for emphasis but yeah so that's the uh, that's that's me on that one. Um, I think fours across the board for me. Um, I had quite a few people who saw this at Cannes who um, said that they thought it might be right up my street. Um, and yeah, it, it certainly delivered. Um, it, it, it's, you know, I'm not normally that big of a fan of a, a, a coming of age film because I think they kind of speak to an experience that I didn't really have. I didn't feel like there was one moment where all of a sudden that I was an adult, but yeah, this is kind of more of a portrait of a family and um, and a kind of and and of loss. I thought was absolutely beautiful. So, if you've got thoughts on these movies, you can email us at TCO London or tweet us at LW Lies. Fire and love. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
follows the lives and careers of volcanologists Katia and Maurice Kraft, who love two things, volcanoes and each other. Earlier this week, I caught up with director Sara Dosa to talk about her remarkable documentary. So yeah, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Um, how did you first come to the story of Katya and Maurice? I first learned about Katya and Maurice when I was doing research for the last film I directed. Um, that film is called The Seer and the Unseen, and it tells the story of an Icelandic woman who's in communication with spirits of nature, uh, which is a, a very common belief there and around the world. Um, uh, we think of it as a magically real documentary, mm-hmm. and um, it opens with kind of the story of um, of Iceland, uh, how Iceland was created, and when humans first came to Iceland. And we wanted archival imagery of erupting volcanoes to kind of set this tone of, you know, of creation and destruction, and, and um, there's uh, a live Earth. And so we started researching erupting volcanoes, Iceland, you know, those are our search terms. And when you do that, especially uh, looking for images from the 60s and 70s, you come across Katya and Maurice. Um, But it really wasn't until we learned about them as people that we got super hooked. I mean, their images were spectacular. Um, But once we learned that they were a couple in love, that uh, they were incredibly playful and funny, um, that they were philosophical. Mm -hmm. And also, like, they, they seemed to take their work very seriously, but not themselves. We thought these are people whose worlds we want to dwell within, and for me, that's always like the sign of, of like, um, yeah, hint that I might want to make a film. Yeah. Um, I, I have a kind of funny thing that I call like a road trip test, where I think like, where I'm, I'm starting to contemplate a, a new film. I'll think like, would I want to go on a road trip with these people? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then then I kind of go to the next phase. And I imagined going on a road trip with Katya and Maurice, and I thought oh my God, that would be the most fun road trip ever. So all of those things kind of got the ball rolling and um, uh, yeah, and kind of inspired the, the impetus for the film. Um, and when you then kind of go into the footage or when you're doing the research with the was there like a key piece of footage that kind of sparked your interest in being like, this is particularly gorgeous, this is cinema, you know, that sort of thing? Yeah, there, there was so much of that. Um, there was, it actually kind of started with their writing, though. Like, mm-hmm. we knew that their footage was going to be amazing, um, but in one of the books that they wrote, uh, they authored nearly 20 books, aside mm-hmm. from the hundreds of hours that they filmed um, of footage. Um, but in, in one book, Marius wrote a sentence where he says, for me, Katya and Volcanoes, it is a love story. And that line is now at the very end of the film. But for us, it was kind of like a genesis point where we thought, like, oh, that, that's the framework for this film. It's, it's a love story. That feels very true to them. Um, but it's also, Maurice is talking about a love triangle. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just the love of his partner in life. Um, it's the love of this third love, a volcano. And we thought that could be a really playful framework um, for exploring a story about the human relationship with the natural world. Um, and so looking uh, through their footage with that in mind, um, it served as a prism. You know, we we're looking for imagery that felt like love, you know, sparks flying, you know, geothermal bubbles percolating, um, you know, uh, eruptions crescendoing. That there's, It was very clear that volcanoes were their object of their desire, their absolute passion. But also volcanoes were kind of a love language for their human relationship, too. So that guided our process as we started to structure the film. Um, there was certain scenes that absolutely stood out. Uh, for example, the, the scene of when they um, uh, go to a place called Kawaii Jen or the Green Crater in Indonesia mm-hmm. in, in 1971. Um, <clears throat> it's not an erupting volcano, but it's a lake of pure sulfuric acid that Maurice mm-hmm. takes you know, a rubber boat on. And uh, that story was so intriguing to us because it illuminated so much of their relationship dynamic. Um, Reese wants to go out on this raft 
Katya does not want him to. Maurice really wants to because it's, it's you know, he says it's for, uh, you know, scientific purposes to collect data at the bottom of the Sulfuric Lake. Um, but it's really for the thrill of the adventure. Um, Katya feels like it'll jeopardize kind of the, the legitimacy of their scientific work. So it, it's a moment of tension in the relationship. But visually, it's so stunning. The, the greens, the yellows, the reds, um, the way that they capture this, sulf- this sulfuric world um, was stunning to us and also was able to contrast with some of the erupting volcano footage. We were worried that audiences would get like eruption fatigue. <laughs> and so we were grateful for another kind of texture. Um, but um, we still, I still watch that footage. I, I can't believe that they... Uh, ventured to, or specifically Maurice ventured to do something so dangerous and that they captured it on, on film. Um, but yeah, it could go on and on. There's so many examples of those scenes. But so, so much of it looks like space exploration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't It has a really like otherworldly quality. As much as we know about volcanoes, yeah. they, they're, they're so unfamiliar and mysterious mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah, absolutely. They, they are. Um, they're, they're so surreal. Um, that was one of the things my, my team um, and I, and I should say, my, my two editors, Aaron Casper and Jocelyn Chapu, um, and, and my producers, Shane Boris and Ina Fitchman, um, and also my kind of everybody, <laughs> my executive producers, Greg Boosted and, and Jessica Hara from Sandbox Films. Like, it, it was a very collaborative process of, of making the film, and, and I really want to like celebrate and, and shout out their efforts. But um, Jocelyn and Aaron and I, we, we watched everything, and we were constantly just like blown away by the surreality of the footage. It really did feel like we were in outer space. Um, but the fact that it was Earth made it all the more interesting and intriguing mm-hmm. to think like, oh my god, our planet looks like this. Um, the Earth is this powerful. It's this sentient. Um, sentient is often a word I, I like because... Um, it communicates life force and intelligence that's beyond the human. And that's something that Maurice and Katja contended with all the time. It's just like um, how um, alive volcanoes seem to be, um, but beyond the human. Um, and that comes across in the imagery in, in such intriguing ways. Um, so much of the film is about mysteries, you know, it's mm-hmm. about uh, uh, going towards the unknown. Um, all the while knowing that, you know, you can never quite understand. Like, Catching Race would often say, volcanoes are beyond human understanding, mm-hmm. uh, beyond human comprehension. They're just so vast. Um, you know, Race would lament that the human eye can't see in geologic time. There, there was, like, um, kind of the Sisyphusian struggle that mm-hmm. they had, um, but they still went towards, they, they still yearned to understand regardless because that journey brought them such meaning and adventure and, and love. Um, and, um, but I, I feel like that yearning and I feel like that quest towards the mysteries really do show up in, in the landscapes that they captured. Um, and just their way to like the, their, the gaze behind the camera, um, as well. I feel like you can really feel that. It's strange that, you know, obviously this is like language we're talking about volcanoes, but even when you're describing that bond, it seems like intensely romantic. Like you are talking, <laughs> when you talk about it being a love triangle, like that, the passion that they have there yeah. really seems very like profound like you're talking about the mysteries of the bond with the volcano and it's kind of like the mysteries of what is love what is finding your soulmate i think that was one of the things we were so inspired by in in their story that felt so um so organic and and true to their lived experience um but for us we we were imagining like like the, the utter trust you must need to have in your partner you know um there there's a scene for example in in uh indonesia in 1979 they're 
um, meeting the Anakakatawa volcano, which um, is just erupting constantly, throwing volcanic bombs like every few minutes. And one of them was asleep, um, and one of them had to kind of keep watch. And the trust that they had to have, because the person who was awake would have to like move the person sleeping out of the way at all times. And that trust uh, in your person to like save your life uh, just has to be so profound. You have to be so in sync in those moments. Um, but there's something too about um, like about kind of what they witnessed and sharing that level of, of um of experience with another person that just does seem so deeply romantic. Like, Captain Maurice didn't use spiritual language, but I really feel like the way they describe volcanoes um, was akin to how so many people talk about experiences with the divine. You know, um, Katya says in the film, like, she can't see the world anymore. It's mediocrities. Like, I feel like she looked into the face of the gods and goddesses and, and experienced something so transcendent that it's just like she can never be normal again. And the fact that she could do that with her life partner, they could share in that kind of moment. It's like, that's a level of understanding that they just don't have with other humans. It's, it's almost like being anointed or there's all kind of, yeah. I'm, again, like fumbling through spiritual languages, but, but that's kind of what, what, uh, uh, what seems fitting. Um, they were just able to be on a different plane with each other because of what they experienced and because of what they encouraged and emboldened in each other. And there is something so romantic about that to think that, you know, there is another person who can understand you and hold you in, in those moments and experiences in life, too. Um, on kind of more of a technical level, like you have all these footage which is going up to 1991 with, you know, the terrible tragedy. Um, was there like technical challenges in like adapting that footage and kind of, you know, working with it all? Because it was it all imperfect, Nick, or, or was it a struggle? Yeah, that's... Um, Specifically, the 1991. Well, generally, all of the footage that they kind of accumulated over their lives. Yeah, it was. um, Yeah, there there was a lot of technical challenges. Um, uh, They mostly shot in a 16 millimeter that um, was scanned beautifully by um, Image S, the archival facility in in France that we were working with. Um, They helped us actually kind of um, troubleshoot some some of the technical issues, Um, but. but yeah, there are all kinds of challenges. One of them being that none of the 16 millimeter footage arrived to us with sound. Uh, it was all silent. <laughs> um, and my editors had to rebuild these soundscapes um, very diligently, which um, they loved. Uh, that was actually, I mean, it was incredibly hard work and very challenging for them, but they're the type of meticulous editors that also really enjoy and feel satisfied by that kind of uh, detail-oriented work. Um, but yeah, immensely challenging. Um, and through the you know through through the years, um, the technical formats would change, and so um, we would work with you know different types of video formats. Um, uh, oftentimes, the, the video that we were working with was also shot by television crews that were filming Katya and Maurice, and came to us in much lower quality. That um, was hard because when we were so spoiled by these gorgeous images um, of the celluloid, that to get kind of. Uh, um, highly pixelated, fuzzy uh, video footage from the 80s. Um, uh, what, yeah, it, it was very frustrating. But we tried to just kind of embrace those technical challenges or, or those um, differences in format as um, the making of a collage film. Mm-hmm. And each different piece feeling like it could speak to a different time and, and place. And the scenes being exposed um, actually kind of spoke more about our process, hopefully not in a way that would be distracting 
but we could almost feel like geologic layering, you know, yeah. like here's the Cenozoic, here's the, the Devonian era, you know, or I'd be kind of silly, but, but we did kind of think of things, um, trying to find kind of geologic parallels to our own process of sifting through kind of the materials that Katya Marie's left behind. Um, so yeah, those are some of the kind of tech challenges we had a lot more, but I'll leave you with those. But you, you've also got this very distinctive narration from Miranda July. I'm wondering what you think that it is that she brought in terms of a narrator to the story. Uh, I, I love Miranda. We all love Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, we wanted, when we realized we needed a narrator, which was early on in the process, mm-hmm. um, we wanted an inquisitive narrator um, who could hold space for Katya and Marish, um, their voices, course but also their images um and someone who could approach them yeah with the kind of curiosity of a searching scientist too um I feel like Miranda um does such an incredible job of expressing curiosity and warmth and intimacy and um vastness all at once like she's such a talented actor and, and she's such uh, a brilliant artist and, and the way she plays with these themes of kind of what it means to be human and in relationship and alive and um yeah. Um, so for all those reasons and so many more, I thought that she would be a, a good narrator. Um, our one of our editors, uh, Jocelyn Chapu, she she actually was our temporary narrator, and, and she was channeling the narration um, style of uh, Godard's um, masculine and feminine, mm-hmm. um, which is a very deadpan voice. And we thought again, like that kind of almost like neutral stance. Well, well, first we wanted to pay homage to to the French New Wave, which inspired Patti and Maurice, and so that's a big kind of influence on our film. But we thought like that kind of restrained tone again would yeah make more space and. and for the imagery to, to be felt. Um, uh, so um, Miranda was kind of also playing into what she had inherited from, from Jocelyn, but she made it her own with, with a lot more warmth. We never wanted like kind of this deadpan voice to feel like too neutral or cold. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Miranda is so skilled at, at um, yeah, what we call deadpan curiosity. Uh, so yeah, she did a, a wonderful job of but it is it was a, it felt like a bold choice we were definitely like making a statement with that it's, it's you can't um yeah she's not a, a narrator who's going to be like wallpaper um and yeah i'm really grateful for her collaboration um and finally um you know like this has been so well received i think you're about 100 percent on rotten tomatoes or something and it's getting like you know for a documentary it's getting like a really great release do you have any sense of what it is, perhaps, that people are really connecting to in this story that it's being so well received? Um, at first, I'm so shocked and surprised, but incredibly grateful for the reception. Um, we, we weren't, yeah, I just had no idea what to expect once um, we finished the film. Um, I think people are really connecting to Katya and Maurice's, um, not just their story, but, but the their imagery. I mean, it's spectacular. It's of volcanoes, but also there's such unmistakable love behind the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the way the, the portraiture of the earth is just infused with passion in a way that's, it's like you can feel, um, on some sort of like instinctual level. Um, it's like the images themselves are beautiful, but there's like that emotion and that feeling that I feel like is only conjured by like the person recording the material. And I feel like that really comes across. And I think that audiences are picking up on that. Um, but it is, it's just so, shocking that people would get so close to something so dangerous. Um, I think another thing, too, that audiences have been kind of sharing with me um, in Q&As or or after screenings is um, kind of some of the existential questions that um, permeate the film about 
you know, what it means to live a meaningful life, when any moment could be your last, um, what it means to be a, a, a tiny human amid like the scale and scope of geologic time. And, and I think, um, you know, of course, fear and uncertainty and the unknown abound at all times, but I feel like those themes have crystallized specifically on a global level during the pandemic. And, and that's the context under which we were making the film. And um, I think a lot of people have been grappling with their own existential questions and dealing with fear and loss. And Katya and Maurice are such skilled navigators of fear and loss and the unknown. So those are things that um, have been really meaningful for, for me to hear of, of how Katya and Maurice have been kind of inspiring for people um, in the wake of such a hard time globally. Um, uh, but I think, too, like, um, volcanoes are... Uh, yeah, again, they, they um, illustrate the sentience of the planet. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that's something that it's, it's challenging to, to get in contact with um, uh, and uh, to get to transport people in, into these surreal landscapes. Um, it seems like that's something that people really enjoy, just knowing, like, oh, our Earth can look like that. So, David, you reviewed for the magazine, and it was quite interesting, this angle that you had, that they were sort of... Uh, early influencers, should we say, early TikToker daredevils, <laughs> rather than respected scientists? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I definitely wasn't saying that, 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 that one, one uh, should cancel out the other. I'm sure that they are extremely uh, respected scientists and, you know, the film definitely kind of gets that across. I, d- I think, so the, the way that the documentary works is that it is this portrait of this, this couple and, uh, they are like they like they've been kind of uh, sorry sorry to again use the the sort of Hollywood shorthand, but they they feel like they've been kind of transplanted out of a Wes Anderson movie, um, like a kind of life aquatic type deal. They are they are kind of hu- husband and wife volcanologists who uh, travel around the globe on a, at a moment's notice, and their and their kink is watching volcanoes from like as close up as possible. Uh, as a way to to be able to study the, their movements and the, the effects, and um, but also there's part of part of the film where you're watching where they it's it's something they act, I mean I, I say the kink I say it's their kink uh, as uh, for, uh, you know uh, jokingly but not jokingly because they, there's clearly some kind of like erotic fascination with uh, um, with that they have with volcanoes and. You know there are lots of sequences that um, where you know the, the the landscape footage that they're they're kind of constantly capturing is kind of is incredible enough with like these splodges of of magma just sort of rolling you know mere feet away from them and you know they're they're kind of like traipsing up a kind of a hill while in you know in the middle distance there is kind of billows of smoke coming out and like rocks flying everywhere and um, you know, like the, the, what they—they're they, very, very blasé about about death uh, in the film, um, and yeah, I think I made that point about TikTokers because, like, I, I think that 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 now is a medium that focuses so much on the the, the kind of. I guess like homespun daredevilry, where you have people like doing tricks on skateboards or you know diving off diving off high cliffs into the sea, and there is a kind of like. Uh, you know, pe- people are kind of monetizing their willingness to kind of risk their lives, and you could just imagine in the sort of seventies or eighties if there was a kind of like sixteen millimeter equivalent of of like Insta stories, 
these these guys would good good would be doing like sick sick metrics you know like they would they would have like mega followers it's like whoa katya look how you know she's 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 canoeing on some magma check this out you know like you know a million shares etc you know (laughs) um so yeah that 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 that's that's the feeling that's the kind of feeling i got from 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 the film actually which is i hope not sort of it's definitely not meant as a reductive reading of the film because i think that like more more i'm trying to sort of place a kind of contemporary relevance to to what it is they 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 did so that was that was the why i guess Uh, um, it's very. I now beginning to think this would be a very interesting double bill with Nope for some of the reasons that you've. Uh, that you, but we won't give any spoilers for Nope. Um, yeah, I watched this at Sundance in January, and this kind of just struck me as like it was one of my favourites, and as an intensely romantic story. And there are those great couples of history of you know like um, uh, you know diego and frida and um and the curies um you know people people like that where they kind of it seems so much more like soulmate them because their passions align so much and that was just really beautiful to me like marina did you kind of buy into the kind of love story of of it all i mean yeah it also it's interesting that um david you mentioned it's very like the life aquatic it also slightly reminded me of last year's uh, Jacques Cousteau documentary, both in that you feel like the energy of these like super passionate, super French, super whimsical, like environmentalists, like their energy is just radiating off the screen. They're so passionate, but also on the fact that these are people who've recorded phenomenal footage that has artistic merit beyond being helpful to their own respective fields. Um, In terms of the romance, you know, love them. I did think the narration was a bit invasive and a bit, you know, love Miranda July, did not love her narration as much. Um, I think it was trying to impose the romance a bit too much. Uh, and as I was watching, actually, my my uh, housemate came in and they were like, um, they should have gotten Bjork to narrate that. Uh, and I was like, yeah, she'd actually be really good, you know, volcanoes. <laughs> well, more Bjork in everything, I think, is generally the rule. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, speaking of the footage of itself, I mean, some of it is so incredibly um, striking. Um, were there any like particular moments that stood out for you? I mean, it's just it. Some weirdly, some of the ones that stood to, out to me were just like also the catastrophic injuries that they're currently getting, which were just as kind of explosive in a way as the giant magma waterfalls and stuff. Oh yeah, when they're in Iceland and he and he steps in like a, a geezer or something and gets his leg or molten or sort of yeah red hot mud and just gets completely like yeah. And he's yeah he's super chill about that and and I mean I, I think also also beyond Wes Anderson I think that maybe the more kind of like obvious philosophical touchstone is like someone like Werner Herzog and um and 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 I mean it's it's very much a kind of like what if what if Grizzly Man as a love story uh, I mean Grizzly Man is his film about kind of you know 
this his whole thesis about you know nature's indifference to humanity and like we we can't that you know beyond beyond this kind of romantic ideal we have of like animals and landscapes and mastering being able to master that world um there's 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 no that, that that's actually some that's just kind of whimsical that's a whimsical belief and it's and it can't happen and like in the end you know you think you might think you're like making friends with a bear but the bear's gonna like kill you <laughs> the first opportunity it gets because it doesn't you know it's unfeeling and like i think that i i guess the story the story of the crafts is also about that kind of you know the supply the sublime indifference of nature um in that they famously uh carked it at the hands of one of their beloved volcanoes <laughs> I mean, the film deals with their death in a very kind of like, I mean, it's very sort of sudden and brutal um, and almost sort of matter of fact, like the the way that it's kind of depicted in the film. I mean, it's it, I was quite shocked by how kind of just you know that it was sort of it's it, in the film it's sort of presented as just another episode in their crazy life. But it kind of was, I think, even for them, they would have seen it as that because, of course, they'd go out like that, you know? I mean, they they were kind of pre-hyping it themselves. I mean, they knew, you know, I mean, to to add one bit of context, I guess I guess one of the kind of dramatic arcs in the documentary is that um, they, they, they talk of like red volcanoes and gray volcanoes and like the red ones are the kind of beautiful red magma ones that we kind of you know that we we kind of you know that that, that are almost a sort of stereotype of of volcanoes and um the first half of the film is very much like oh the beauty of nature the you know getting close to these 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 natural wonders and then the second half for almost like kind of anticipating what's going to happen is more about like oh actually we're focusing more on like the dangerous ones which are the kind of gray ones which are about you know ash and smoke and you know these and wind and and all these kind of stuff that are kind of destroying landscapes and in many way in many uh in 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 many cases like destroying like urban populations and uh um and the work they were doing was actually to like try and help these people in the end like that, that they kind of it's, it feels like they kind of very purpose at one point they purposely pivoted towards trying to be kind of like uh you know work more on the sort of like here here here, here we're, we're studying these volcanoes to help with like safety and to help like evacuations and knowing when people can actually be saved so i think the second half of the film is more kind of like i guess educational doc informative doc about like history rather than like you know more like it's a national geographic film so you do get you know there is that focus on like the beautiful nature shots nature porn if you will but um yeah like the 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 reality is is that those the gray volcanoes are not beautiful in any way um they're they're really ugly and and horrible and uh yeah um as the i just kind of presumed a level of spiritual connection i suppose perhaps it's just because i'd seen the northman that like actually there was something not not in a death wish in them but like something in being devoured by the old volcano that kind of was almost like them ascending to another level 
Oh, totally. It's like kind of blood sacrifice kind of thing. Um, but but yeah, like it. You know, the the way they do it is not them kind of. You know, it's ve- like to, to to give an example. It's not them like that. It's it's unlikely that they they realized that this was the end. That they were able to kind of like acknowledge the fact that they were going to be killed by the by their beloved volcano. Um, it seems that like they were just stood there and it just boomed past them and 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 that was it like they 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 maybe weren't able to have that moment of acknowledged transcendence that they may have like thought they might have had which again is itself quite makes that ending really kind of brutally cold i thought it was more like you know it, this was a documentary that was more like celebrating the life and what they shared and what they had and what they did without um spending too much time on their death i thought that was i thought that was fine um but also why did they have to make the lava look like it would taste so good like i know it would kill me but like i just want to know what it tastes like (laughs) yeah it's gorgeous it's mesmerizing you can kind of see what would kind of draw you to this place. It's almost like looking into, right. you know, the, that footage that we saw of NASA, of the stars, like there's just some some things in nature that are completely overwhelming to gaze it's at. It's true. They look like Skittles, didn't they? You just want to like grab them. Come on, you're, <laughs> Layla, Layla, you're a foodie. Which, uh, which, um, which, uh, uh, which chefs are, do, are doing lava, lava cookery, magma, magma dishes? God, I feel like that's going to be like those kind of, you know, you get a lot of these um, high-end um, French patissier chefs, you're like Alain Ducasse's and stuff, and they often do like an exploding dessert. There's lots of cracking through something and an oozing. Uh, that's probably... That's fake magma. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's true though, actually, because like, I think that there is something very um, uh, edifying and alluring about the, the 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 image of the of the sort of the volcano spewing liquid and erotic in a way. I mean, it's like, I mean, let's not let's not go all all Freudian on it, but like you know that that I think I think we're kind of uh, I, yeah, I think we're we're going through the looking glass here on uh, <laughs> on why the crafts maybe loved uh, loved the volcano so much. There is there there is there there is symbolism beyond their uh, their kind of uh, rigorous passions. I think that this might be a bit of a Rorschach stress, and while some of us are seeing desserts, you're seeing like deeply erotic imagery. <laughs> Phallic. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, well, let's get some scores on this, my goodness. Um, Marina, do you want to go first? In anticipation, enjoyment, and in retrospect. So anticipation, I'll give it a four. Um... Enjoyment, I would also give it a four. I also have to say that the soundtrack on this went so hard, like, especially for a nature documentary. Um, you know, it had some, like, Brian Eno, some, like, Ennio Morricone, some Air. Uh, I thought that was, like, it was lovely and also paired with the footage. It was just, like, breathtaking. Um, but in retrospect, I'd give it a three. Uh, it would easily be a four if it was half of its runtime. Obviously, the footage is like breathtaking, and in these like split screen sequences, like um, the director makes like a stunning use of 
of the material. Uh, but it does feel towards the end that you lose a little bit of that investment, in my opinion. David, what about you? I, I think I'm probably going to be a little bit more grouchy on this one and say it's it's probably threes for me. Like, um, I, th- I think I want to pick up on something Marina said earlier that I I did feel, and and I know that th- this is probably a, a, maybe a personal thing, but like I did feel that this kind of idea of their of their sort of star cross romance and having that kind of re- being reminded of that through Miranda July's voiceover constantly it ju- it did feel invasive and maybe like push pushing that a bit too hard like to the point you know like when someone tells you something so much that you actually start to doubt it like um i maybe didn't see enough evidence in the footage itself you know that, that they chose you know they, that it's like you know that, that there's a bit where they find like oh look she gives him a little glance and he gives her a little kind of nudge and it's like that's that's fine, but that's that's not enough to base an entire film's thesis on, really. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I, I maybe didn't get, like, I think the star-crossed lovers thing was maybe too much for me. Uh, I was all on board with the star-crossed lovers side of things. Um, yeah, I think Grizzly Man is an interesting comparison because that is such a sort of dark heart and that's such a relationship in which they don't really support each other she's barely even on camera so I think maybe compared to that uh, to me the little glances still <laughs> seemed like intensely romantic and you know we're not seeing footage of them on date night we're seeing footage of them you know at work so like you know I still thought just that connection they had really spoke to me so um yeah Sundance I was very tired probably three five in enjoyment and yeah in retrospect four I thought it, it was lovely and it's really stayed with me and I'm, I'm glad it seems to have gotten a lot more um attention than you know many of these documentaries do like it's um it's getting a proper I, release I, I feel it's going to be one of those films like free solo that ends up doing like you know a doc that ends up sort of doing really well it's got it's sort of ticking quite a lot of boxes and it's got the nature it's got it's got the sort of narrative arc and the romance and I think that, you know, maybe, 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 I mean, my threes are high threes because I think having had this discussion and being able to kind of like delve into it a bit deeper maybe makes me think, you know, maybe maybe I didn't like it. Maybe I liked it more than I get getting on. So (laughs) anyway. Yeah, it certainly deserves uh, the hype it's getting. Also, I I remember this uh, scene where uh, it describes that um, Katya is more like, you know, studying the like minutiae of like volcanoes. Meanwhile, Maurice is like plunging himself into the lava, and it's like, oh, uh, Katia is like a like a bird, and uh, uh, Maurice is like like a walrus. And I was like, okay, like the two genders of discourse, like <laughs> bird and walrus, I guess. <laughs> I I mean, maybe maybe it's for another time. But my I watched it with my wife, and she on that scene. She was just. She just looked at me and was like, "There's the patriarchy for you. The guy gets to go gallivanting. The woman stays at home, does the work. There you go. Anyway, it was the seventies. <laughs> and more. Yeah, just being let outside of the house in the seventies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Paris 
Paris, Texas focuses on a vagabond named Travis, who years after mysteriously wandering out of the desert, attempts to reunite with his brother and seven-year-old son. After reconnecting with his son, Travis and the boy end up embarking on a voyage through the American Southwest to track down Travis's long-missing wife. Ah, so we're back in road trip mode. Possibly one of the greatest road trip movies. You think that's fair to say? Definitely. I think it's the perfect road movie. It's got all of the kind of melancholy, kind of, you know, self-growth and transformation that comes with being on the road. But plus the vistas are just so unbelievably gorgeous. Is this your first time watching Paris, Texas, Marina? No, I actually um, had watched it uh, before. Um, And it's one of those where, like, during, like, while watching it... um, you know, I'm not a huge fan of slow pace, especially if I'm watching something at home. Like, at the cinema, it's completely different. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the of the slow pace, but after I'd first watched it, it's, like, one of those films that just, like, stayed with me and, like, further cemented itself, uh, like, as, like, one of my favourite films. Um yeah, I, I I think it's I think it's great. It's just one of those that you like, just can't stop thinking about. Yeah, it does feel that kind of culturally, the things that cemented in people's minds was the image of Harry Dean Stanton wandering out, kind of you know abandoning his life, and then that image of Natasha Sakinsky in that beautiful pink jumper in this strange kind of booth. But I, for me, watching it again, I was kind of reminded of all the wonderful bits in between. And I really think this is truly the most magical film. Uh, David, you're the one that chose this for Film Club. Why is that? Well, I mean, for I guess for, uh, the, one of the main reasons is that it is actually on re-release this week. So people can actually go and see it in the cinema. So handy. This is a, this is a handy uh, service feature for, for our listeners. Um, also, I think that like actually in retrospect... I, it actually has quite a lot of uh, overlap with um, one of our other films from the week, Hit the Road, I think. Uh, in the, I, I mean, may, may specifically that a focus on a, a small, a small teen boy, sorry, preteen boy, who is maybe unaware of a of a of a situation that is going on between parents, um, and certainly there is overlap in the idea of depictions of um quite um lyrical father son relationships um yeah i i i i had seen this when i was a teenager and i think you know as with so many other great masterpieces of cinema i'd kind of or perceived masterpieces of cinema i'd kind of watched it and was like yeah that was good next you know like I'd not really, you know, take taken it on, taken it fully on board, and I mean, not because I I wasn't trying to, but like I physically, you know, mentally was not able to at that age, and so seeing it again, like maybe twenty five years later, was was really was really interesting. I I I I must say it's maybe not one of my favorite vendors films. Uh, he's got. There's an earlier film he did called Alice in the Cities, which I which I actually prefer. Um, it's it's sort of set. It's set in Germany. It's in black and white, and it's just a a a, a, a man and a young girl traveling through Germany. Um, and 
I, f- I find this this film a, a little bit over sentimental sometimes um, in in its in its story and content. Uh, I, I mean, I think the idea of this um, character who is like obviously guilt ridden to this extreme degree and looking for some kind of um, uh, you know, I, I think he he's looking for some kind of forgiveness, but knows that he maybe doesn't deserve it. Is a is a fascinating kind of central conceit, and um, I think that the thing that really stands out for me in in this film is like um, this new, uh, you know, just just the way it looks, like the colors, like this, you know, going again, going back to uh, Marina's comment about wanting to eat lava, you know, like you, the, the, these skylines, they they're edible, you know, they 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 are. They 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 have all these kind of like glowing reds, yellows, greens, like very primary. It's like can you know? It's like these candy coloured vistas of 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 the of 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 the American landscape, which are very very different to those that were seen in, um, you know, like you know that were sort of immortalised in the westerns of fifties, forties, and fifties. Um, you know, it's a it's like the film kind of exists in this space where like uh, we're seeing the sort of, we're seeing urban sprawl out into the, into the deserts. And, you know, you're seeing like America, you you see American landscapes being overtaken by commercialism and like, it kind of depicts that in a very kind of, in a very loving way. Like it's not, it's not cynical about commercialism and, and, you know, and, and capitalism. It's very like, this is, this is what, America looks like now, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is how like the light looks, you know, it's, it's trying to kind of capture something and, and, you know, worth shouting out to the great cinematographer, Robbie Muller, who, who made this film in a, in a, in a completely unique way. I mean, uh, just also to, to, to self-publicize, uh, I, I did an interview with Vim Benders, which is on littlewhitelies.com. You can read where we discussed how, um, uh, Robbie Miller shot the film and how uh, vendors restored it to try and get it to the colors that he was originally kind of um, trying to trying to capture um, and did so without the use of any kind of electrical lighting equipment so like he was shooting in super super low light but capturing these incredible colors and like um, it's fast you know there, there are I can't, I can't remember it was. I think it was like Jim Jarmusch or someone who's saying like, there are people who watch Paris, Texas um, and they just, and like cinematographers. And, and I think it's one of the films that people don't know, like can't, you know, a cinematographer might watch a film and be like, oh, I, can, I see how they did that. But people can't get their head around how he shot it. I mean, it might, it might seem weird to, to when you watch the film and think, "Oh, that's a beautiful landscape," but, but people can't understand how he was able to get those colours in in the way that he shot it. So, it's it's a proper kind of like mystery mystery of cinema. Yeah, we've had some real feast for the eyes this week. I think this is one of the kind of more beautiful weeks I've ever done on this podcast. There's been incredible use of colour. Um, but yeah, even in the, I mean, as much as those exteriors are absolutely stunning, I was kind of watching it again. I was taken by so many of the interior shots, just kind of the way that he's 
I suppose we're so used to kind of murky films at the moment. So just kind of the way that he's able to just use interior lights. There's a scene with Justine Stockwell kind of laid out that's kind of shot in vivid green. That, you know, if if that was in a in a recent action film, there'd be 40,000 fans tweeting about it every day and how it was one perfect shot. And it's like just a throwaway in something like this. Um, Marina, I'm just wondering... There, I'm a big Harry Dean Stanton fan and I always love how um, the late great Roger Ebert always said that no film is wholly bad if Harry Dean Stanton is in it. Like, what did you think of him in this? I think he was amazing. Um, Agree. (laughs) Big agree. Um, But it's also how he's presented, his character is presented originally as this, you know, like almost asking for sympathy and then there's so much restraint in the storytelling and in the atmosphere um, which slowly kind of presents him as you know you might be you might be feeling um, sympathy for this man but he is completely irredeemable and you know picking up on uh, what David said earlier about, um, you know, the father-son relationships in both Hit the Road and in Paris, Texas. I find that Hunter, the the kid in um, Paris, Texas, is like a a more, like, precautious iteration of the kid in uh, Hit the Road. Like, how this this scene with the uh, Super 8 footage, how he understands that that version of his mum in that footage is just her in a film and not really her. And when he says to Travis that, um, you know, when those years that he was gone, he knew that he wasn't dead because he could hear him walking around. I just think, like, Sam Shepard did, like, an excellent job on the script. Um, I just wanted more of Jane, I think, uh, which, like, obviously captures the sense of, like, her loss and and what the loss of Jane represents within the film. Like, it captures that so beautifully because she retains this, like, mysticism and this, like, allure about her that, like, you just want more of her. Um, But, yeah, Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah. The, and the film kind of culminates in this incredible scene where Harry Dean Stanton is recounting the story, history of their relationship to her. And Jane doesn't have much more to do but to react. And perhaps, you know, with our modern lens, it does seem a bit, you know, Anna Paquin in The Irishman. They're just like, why do the women just have to kind of be silently judgmental? But I still think that is one of the most beautiful reaction performances that I, that I can really think of. I think in both cases, like, I, I, I think I disagree with you, Marina, on that, that in that I think that her absence is is what is what kind of is the thing that is drive, you know, dramatically driving Harry Dean Stanton. And like, we're kind of with him on that journey because we don't know where she is and what she's doing. And we, the, the fact that the film refuses to kind of, you know, use flashbacks or, you know, all these kind of, or any kind of cheap devices it means that you're kind of like you're there with him wondering what could have happened that would have 
literally caused caused her to like abandon her son so yeah i think that that's the the whole point that that it was good that i wanted more of her because i couldn't have more yeah. of her in the film because then it just right. wouldn't work if if there was more of her in it yeah and it's strange because she is often kind of you know what is remembered about this film despite i suppose it's that hannibal lecter thing of the you know is he the lead actor but he's only in it for like six minutes or something just because of you know the impact that she has um but yes i mean i think i'm going to given that this being is being out in cinemas i'm going to take the opportunity certainly i've only ever watched this on small tvs and the idea of kind of getting to see these images on a big screen um is you know i think it has to be done whilst it whilst it's still out so if you've got thoughts on these films, email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, we'll be swapping a car for a bullet train before jumping on the train to Busan for Film Club. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were David Jenkins and Marina Asciotti. podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.